that's good, good stuff. Man, look at all these Christmas boxes we got. I think I heard like we're close to 80. Woo! I think is what I heard. Some more came in. Yeah, but some more came in after you guys told me that number. <laughs> gotcha. Okay, 76. Sorry, man. Sorry. Yeah, it's like a real thin flashlight. This kid's going to be like the. Everyone's going to want to be that kid's friend. Uh, so, anyways, good. Uh, happy Veterans Day. And uh, I didn't. Wasn't in here. I was out uh, protecting the hallway, uh, and uh, so I didn't. I didn't. So those of you who stood, I hope you uh, enjoyed the little gift that we were able to give you. We also have um, black rifle coffee. I think we have some left out in the lobby. Uh, it's uh, actually a veteran-owned company, so we thought it'd be kind of fun to, you know, have some black rifle coffee, which was really good, by the way. Uh, I had some a little bit, which is probably why I'm a little more hyped up than normal um, this morning. So. It's not a drug. <laughs> so, yeah. Anyways, uh, so last week, uh, oh, let me just one more thing with this. So, we made sure everyone gets theirs back on the 13th, but they'll still be here next week. We'll make somebody will take them down to Fremont right after the service. So, here's the help. So, like, oh, I get mine in. Get yours in this week. Bring it back Sunday, and we'll make sure it all gets on Fremont. Which is awesome. We're going to do have a lot better showing than we did last year. Last year, I think we had like 58 boxes. So, you know, we're doubling, we're not doubling, by like 20 more. Um, this today, and hopefully a bunch more on this night. So, good job. Where do you go? Anyway, um, so last week, Jason, I thought he was a nice guy, but he left Joseph in prison. And so uh, today it's our job to come together and we're going to hopefully get Joseph out of prison. If you've uh, read the story, you know that today we'll do that. We're going to be in uh, Genesis 40 and 41. Uh, it starts on page 43 if you're using the Bible that we provide there in the chairs. And, uh, but before we do it, or as you're turning there, I just there's some important stuff that uh, we need to remember. Especially if like, you haven't been here and you're, this is new to you and you know we don't do a whole lot of teaching out of the Old Testament all the time. And, Old Testament, so long ago, what's going on there? Who's this Joseph guy? Blah, blah, blah. So, first of all, this story is what we call a historical theological narrative. Right? By that we mean it's a real event, so it's a historical event that took place that teaches us something about who God is, uh, his character, his uh, attributes, how he operates. It also tells us a little bit about man and how we operate and you know, our struggle with doing like God's way and not doing like God's way and how God wants to work and all that kind of stuff. And so it's what we call a historical, theological narrative. Secondly, uh, it's a great example of God's sovereign will. Now, we've talked a lot about this previously, and so if you've missed this, look at our past uh, series called uh, Recalibrate. But uh, a great example of God's sovereign will in that God has made some promises in the Bible that no matter what man does or doesn't do, he's going to accomplish those things. We'll talk about here in a minute. But he's going to accomplish certain things no matter what man may do or not do. All right? Um, now, we talk about his moral will. His moral will is what he tells man to do that man can choose to do or not do. You know, God says, don't do this. And man can say, uh, you know, uh, 
yes, I'll do that, or I won't do that, that type of thing. But because of his infinite power and his wisdom, it allows him to overcome, I mean, not even, it's not even a difficulty for him, to overcome our choices to accomplish those things that he's promised that he's going to do. And we talked about that a lot in Recalibrate. But this next point is, is really important, because what is God's ultimate sovereign will? Why is it that he created? Now, if you don't get anything else out of today, like pastors and teachers sometimes say, uh, if you don't get anything else, get this, okay? Because this is the important thing. This is a huge thing to grasp. This is what life is all about. It's why God created all that he's created, why he's created us, and why, after sin happened with Adam and Eve, why he's doing all that he's doing. And that is this. God's ultimate desire, his ultimate sovereign will, is that he wants to reveal himself. By that I mean he wants to let us know who he is. What kind of God is he? What are his attributes? How does he operate? Why does he do what he does? So everything in our lives, everything in our lives, good, bad, or otherwise, every person in our lives, good, bad, or otherwise, God is allowing those into our lives so we can know him. That's the whole idea of revealing, glorifying himself. It's an idea of revealing himself. So he wants us to know him. Then he's also doing this in order to restore his our relationship with him. Now for some of us, we've had that happen. For others of us, uh, we haven't. But his, what he wants to do is he wants to restore this relationship that sin has basically cut off. When Adam and Eve sinned, that sin penetrated all of our lives, and we're born sinners, and we sin, and, we, and so that keeps us separated from God. And if something doesn't happen, if God doesn't do something, we're separations for eternity in a place called hell. So that's the other part. He wants to restore that relationship. Now that's kind of a decision that we can make or not make. Right? He doesn't force us into a relationship with him because he loves us. He doesn't abuse us. He doesn't kidnap us, hold us against our will. He, he says you can choose. Those of us who have made that decision then, there is another part of the sovereign will, and that is that he's going to remodel us. He's going to change us. He wants us to look more and more like Jesus Christ. It's a lifelong process. It never is completed. And when we get to heaven, we'll be perfect like Christ is perfect. We'll never become God. We'll never become Jesus. But we'll be like him. It says we'll be perfect. But here on earth, it's a process. It's a growing process. And part of the reason, the big reason, is so we will know God. So he can reveal himself to us. So having said all that, one of the ways that God's going to make this happen, as we've learned from the Old Testament, is he talks to a guy named Abraham. And Abraham, he says, hey, listen, he just initiates this relationship with him. He says, hey, listen, uh, if you believe in me, if you will trust me, place your faith in me, I've got some plans for you. And as long as you believe in me, I'm going to make these plans happen. My sovereign will is going to be this. And Abraham says, I believe you can do it. I'm, I believe you. I put my trust in you. And so he said, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless all your descendants. You become a mighty nation. And through you, the world will be blessed. Before that happens, though, when you become a nation, you'll actually, your descendants will actually be enslaved for 400 years. So that's what's happening here with Joseph. Joseph is one of his descendants. Joseph is a story, a historical story that happens where 
Um, his descendants are being brought down to Egypt. There's probably, you know, 35, 50 of these people at this point. Then over 400 years, they grow to probably 2 or 3 million people. And now they're the nation of Israel who are enslaved by Egypt. The nation of Israel is important because the blessing for the world comes through Israel, Jesus Christ. So God the Son becomes man. We know him as Jesus Christ. And he's the one who dies on the cross, takes our judgment for our sin, in which then we can have this restored relationship with God, and God can reveal himself to us, and we can grow and become more like Christ. All right? Clear as mud? But here's the encouragement to us. You may need to go to slide five. Yeah, the encouragement to us. God uses the good and the bad in our lives to accomplish his will. This will of getting to know him. Of restoring us into relationship. So if you're here this morning, or if you're listening to us on a podcast and you're not, you haven't placed your faith in Christ, the reason why you're going through what you're going through is God wants to reveal to you, first and foremost, that he's your savior. That he's the one who wants to restore that relationship with you. Which is an awesome thing about this awesome God who loves us that much, who's willing to die for us. And so the good and the bad. And if you're a believer, the reason why you're going through the difficulties that you're going through, even if you're not making the choices, some of the people are you know, responding to you in a bad way, the reason why ultimately why God's allowing that in your life is so that you would get to know him. To know him as your Savior, as your Lord, in the sense of Savior from committing sin. You're already saved for eternity, but you know, doing, you know, empowering you to do like God's way. And, to, and so it's everything in that sense, even the bad things in that sense are actually good. Because God can accomplish his will through those things. So anyways, here we have Joseph. He's sold into slavery. He's wrongfully accused of sexual harassment. Um, he's let down by everyone he's ever dealt with, both with his family and in Egypt. And he's been now left alone to rot in prison. That's where, that's where we left him. Way to go, Jason. But he's all alone, right? No one's helping him. Everyone seems to be against him. And so let me ask you, who's let you down? You know, maybe you're sitting here this morning and family has let you down or your spouse has let you down or your children or your parents, um, your church family, maybe it's a boss, maybe it's a co-worker. I don't know. Maybe there's somebody in your life who's, who's let you down. We're like, man, I thought they were going to do one thing, and they did nothing. They, they, they hurt me. Or maybe you're sitting here this morning and you're like, man, everything I'm going through, I, I'm all alone. I just feel like it's just me against the world. Maybe there's been some unfairness happening. Maybe you feel trapped by what's going on in your life. No doubt Joseph felt this way. I've felt that way. And I think probably all of us, at one time or another in our life, have felt that way. I mean, how could God be in that? How could God be in your pain? How could God be in how other people have hurt you? How could God be in what Joseph is going through? Certainly he wouldn't let somebody so obedient as Joseph go through this. But here's the deal. He did. And he does. And he's currently doing that today. All of that, though, is to accomplish 
his will. So here's what I want to do. I want to walk through Genesis 40. I'm not going to read it. I'm just going to kind of tell you the story. You can sit back and hear my melodious tones and how awesome of a storyteller I am. Um, but Joseph is in his like mid-20s. And uh, up to this time, we know he's been faithful to God, doing everything God's called him to do. He's been in some really bad situations and, and hurtful situations. And so now he's mid-20s. Uh, in spite of all he's done for God and representing God, he's actually sitting in jail. He's wrongly accused of sexual harassment and thrown into jail. Genesis 40 starts with, that, that's Genesis 39, so Genesis 40 starts with Pharaoh, the king, as a cupbearer, his chief cupbearer. He's the guy who made sure that anything coming to the uh, Pharaoh wouldn't kill him. All right? Um, and then his chief baker. So I'm not sure what was going on between those two. I don't know if they were like scheming to try to poison him or he thought that they were. Or maybe they just had some bad food and it was, you know, food poisoning. And so then he's thinking that he's going to die from that. Anybody have food poisoning? In there? Oh, yeah, that feels like you're going to die. For a week, I was just, maybe it was too much information. But the uh, point is that it's hurt. So anyways, he, he takes these guys and he throws them into prison. He throws them into prison where guess who is in prison? Joseph. It's interesting because if you read the story, Potiphar, who is the head of the bodyguard, is also ultimately the head of the jail. And so Potiphar says, Joseph, you're going to have run of my entire house. You, everything that, you, that I need done, you're going to do, except I'll eat for myself, as Jason rightfully said. You know, didn't, Joseph wasn't there feeding Potiphar. So he ate. But everything else uh, Joseph did for Potiphar. And so, then, this whole thing happens, he's thrown into prison, but now Potiphar's still in charge. And so he tells the jailer, hey, listen, put Joseph in charge. He's a good man. He'll do what needs to be done. And so these two other guys are thrown in there, and it says that he took care of them. And it's actually a word that means he served them. So he made sure that this cupbearer and this baker, that their needs were met, that they were being taken care of. And it says that, Moses tells us that for some time, so this indefinite period of time, we don't know how long it was, they were all there together, but at some point, they both have dreams. The cupbearer and the baker have dreams. And they're a little bit upset, it says, because they can't find anybody to interpret that dream. We'll find out that the pharaoh had some professional dream interpre interpreters, but they weren't there, and so they were a little bit frustrated. So Joseph, who's supposed to be caring for their needs, he says, hey, by the way, um, God interprets dreams. And so let me hear what you got. And I'll let you know what God says the dreams are about. Now let me just take a little side note here. Because uh, there are people today who believe God speaks in dreams and visions and God speaks to me uh, I don't know, audibly. So we just need to understand something real quick. That in the Old Testament, the Bible hadn't been written yet. It was in the process of being written. And so God communicated with man differently and in Hebrews chapter 1, it tells us that in the past, God used to communicate in various ways. But today, he communicates with us through the word of his Son, Jesus Christ. And so, today, we have the Holy Spirit who lives with us. We're in the Old Testament. The Holy Spirit came and went on people. Today, we have the Holy Spirit who dwells with us. And so, we also have God's word. And so now, we understand what God's calling us to do by studying his word and then taking steps of faith in which the Holy Spirit empowers us. So we don't have dreams and visions today. I know some people believe that. Um, scripture wouldn't uh, support that. But back then they did. And so they had these dreams. 
The cupbearer tells, tells Joseph his dream, and you can read it for yourself, but Joseph says, hey, listen, what's going to happen is, in three days, you're going to have an answer, you're going to see what I'm going to tell you is going to happen. So the Pharaoh's going to have a, a party, and he's going to call you up, and he's going to raise you back to your position. You'll become the cupbearer of Pharaoh again. But hey, listen, when you do that, can you do me a favor? Can you let Pharaoh know about my unjust situation here? I've been wrongfully accused. I was taken by my brothers and sold. And he tells him a story. And so if you just mention it to Pharaoh, now maybe Pharaoh can right the, the wrong that just took place here. And the cupbearer's like, I got you, bro. <laughs> and so they do their whole handshake. And so then the baker's like, hey, this sounds good. I'm going to make sure he knows what my dream was. And so he tells Joseph his dream. And Joseph's like, well, uh, well, here's what the interpretation is. And that is, in three days' time, at that same party, you're also going to be called before Pharaoh, but he's actually going to kill you and put you to death. So you can just imagine what those three days were like for these guys, right? One, they don't know if Joseph has this down right, so they're anticipating that. But then if he does have it right, one guy's like, yeah, and the other guy's like, oh, you know, it's not a good situation for either of them. Well, three days later, the dreams come, uh, or come true, anyways. And so the cupbearer goes before Pharaoh, and the baker goes before Pharaoh, and the cupbearer is raised to his old position. The baker is put to death. But there's no mention of Joseph at all. Can you imagine how Joseph must have felt? He's been in Egypt for at least 11 years. And before that, life wasn't so great. I mean, he was favored by his dad, but his brothers couldn't stand him. But for 11 years, he's been trying to do life God's way. And every time he does, something bad happens. Yeah, good for a while, but something bad happens. And now he's got his hope to get out of prison. His, his one lifeline. And the guy forgets to talk to him, talk to the Pharaoh about that. And then this happens. Now it happened at the end of two full years. So it wasn't that he just forgot. He forgot for a long time. Have you ever gone through a difficult time for two years? Okay, I have. So if you want to know, it's not fun, because you guys obviously have it. Uh, or for 11 years, as he had up to this one. That Pharaoh had a dream, and behold, I was speaking of his dream, he was standing by the Nile. So he's laying there snoring away. He has his dream. And lo, from the Nile there came up seven cows, sleek and fat, and they grazed in the marsh grass. Then behold, seven other cows came up after them from the Nile, ugly and gaunt. And they stood by the other cows on the bank of the Nile. The ugly and gaunt cow, cows ate up the seven sleek and fat cows. Then Pharaoh woke. You can just imagine that you ever woke up from a dream that you're really like into? And it's like, oh man, thanks. I'm gonna stop asking you guys things because you're just looking at me like, you're so riveted, I know, you're on the edge of your seat. He fell asleep and dreamed a second time, and behold, seven ears of grain came up on a single stalk, plump and good. Then behold, seven ears, thin and scorched by the east wind, sprouted up after them. The thin ears swallowed up seven plump and full ears. Then Pharaoh awoke, and behold, it was a dream. Now in the morning his spirit was troubled, so he sent and called for the magicians of Egypt. 
and all of its wise men, all these professional dream interpreter guys. And Pharaoh told them his dream, but there was no one who could interpret them to Pharaoh. Then the cupbearer spoke to Pharaoh. Oh, wait, dream interpreter. Wait, I think I got a guy. Right? You ever have a friend who's like that? Hey, I got a guy. I met some of those guys. Uh, if you want. Joseph was a good guy. So finally, after two years of serving the Pharaoh, Pharaoh's like, hey, I had a dream. Hey, I think I, I think I have a guy. I think I know somebody who can help you with that. Thirteen years. Joseph's been doing what he's doing and being kicked around by it or for it, lonely and wondering, is God in this or he's not in this? So, Pharaoh's professional dream interpreters, they can't do it. So then this happens next. Then Pharaoh sent and called for Joseph, and they hurriedly brought him out of the dungeon. And when he had shaved himself and changed his clothes, he came to Pharaoh. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have had a dream, but no one can interpret it. And I have heard it said about you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. Now look what Joseph does. Joseph says, yep, that's what I do. I'm a dream guy. Dream whisperer. I can do it all. Tell me a dream and I got you. No, he says, it's not in me. God will give Pharaoh favorable answers. He's the one who's going to answer what your dream is. He doesn't take the attention on himself. Still isn't taking the attention on himself. He puts the attention on God. It's God who does the interpreting. So he gives him this interpretation. Now Joseph said to Pharaoh, Pharaoh's dreams are one and the same. God has told Pharaoh what he is about to do. So God's not just going to give you the dream. I want you to know that God's in control of your country. What happens to your country, God is in control. The seven cows are seven years. And the seven, seven good cows are seven years. And the seven good ears are seven years. The dreams are one and the same. The seven lean and ugly cows that came up after them are seven years. And the seven thin ears scorched by the east wind will be seven years of famine. It is as I have spoken to Pharaoh, God has shown to Pharaoh what he is about to do. Behold, seven years of great abundance are coming in the land of Egypt, and after them seven years of famine will come, and all the abundance will be forgotten in the land of Egypt, and the famine will ravage the land. So the abundance will be unknown to the land because of the subsequent famine, for it will be very severe. Now as for the repeating of the dream to Pharaoh twice, it means that God, uh, it means that the matter is determined by God, and God will bring it about quickly. So God's going to bring abundance to Egypt, this godless country who does not worship him, but worships every other kind of made-up God. And then he's going to, after that, bring a famine, and it's going to happen quickly. Interesting, God doesn't just give Joseph the interpretation, God gives Joseph the plan for how to get through this, and this is what we find. Now let Pharaoh look for a man discerning and wise, and let him over, uh, send him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh take action to appoint overseas in charge of the land, and let him exact a fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt in the seven years of abundance. They're going to do a tax, they're going to bring in one-fifth of all that's produced and, and stored. 
Then let them gather all the food these good years that are coming, and store up the grain for food in the cities under Pharaoh's authority, and let them guard it. Let the food become as a reserve for the land for the seven years of famine, which will occur in the land of Egypt, so that the land will not perish during the famine. So they're going to, he says, you need to find a guy who has the skill sets to be able to handle this huge project. And then what that guy needs to then take uh, a tax, and it's going to be a fix of whatever it's produced, we're going to store it, we're going to hold it for those seven years, so when the famine comes, we have something to give to the people so that they don't starve themselves. And so then, who do you think is the guy that Pharaoh chooses? This. Now, a proposal seemed good to Pharaoh to all of his servants. And Pharaoh said to his servants, probably pointing at Joseph, Can we find a man like this in whom is a divine spirit? So Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God, notice he doesn't say since the gods, he said, God, your God, has informed you of all this. There is no one so discerning and wise as you. You shall be over my house, and according to your command, all my people shall do homage or homage. Only the throne will I be greater than you. Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set you over all the land. It goes on and says that not only is he second in command, so he has a signet ring, he's got the royal clothing, he's, uh, he's got the gold necklace. I won't do what I did with my 9 o'clock hour. Um, yeah, boy, I forgot. I had to do it. Uh, and you older people know exactly what I'm saying, and you younger people going, What just happened? So he, he was given Pharaoh's second chariot. It's kind of like having Air Force Two. So every time he was riding around, everyone's like, whoa, that's, that's Joseph. He's got Pharaoh's second chariot. It's awesome. He was given complete control over people. Whatever Joseph said to happen was going to happen. He was given the name Zaphonath, Panea. You think about having kids? How about that for a name? You know, short, we call him Zap. Hey, Zappy. Anyways, it means God speaks, he lives. It's kind of a cool name. And then he's given uh, Asenath, I guess how you say it. That's his wife. They have two sons. And then Joseph goes off to put the plan into action. Now that famine hits Egypt, but all the surrounding area, all the way up to where Jacob and his family are living. So we have to come back next week find out more about that. So for us, from this time, Joseph being in prison, now standing before Pharaoh, what is it that we can learn? There's a bunch of things we can learn. I just picked out three. I'll try to work through them quickly here. The first one is this, especially for those of us who are Christians. God trains those he uses. God doesn't uh, give us salvation and then say, hey, go do what I want you to do and throw us into the deep end. He gives us swimming lessons first. You know, we, we go into the shallow end, right? And we sit down in the shallow end. As kids, remember you taught how to swim? And then they, they, they put your head in the water a little bit and see, get used to that. And then they give you those little um, swimming things. Floaties, thank you. I was looking for somebody to help me out there. Yeah, floaties. Some of you guys are still wearing floaties when you go to the water. I understand it. That's fine. Nope, that, no, no good. They're a little bit bigger now than they were when you were kids, but I get it. Anyway, so you get their little flow, and then pretty soon they start training you. You know, you need to hold your breath, lay in your back, keep your waist up, you'll flow. <laughs> Never happened. You know, right, right down to the... 
didn't work for me. Anyways, but God trains those he's going to use. You want God to use you? Then you got to let him train you. And training is always difficult, right? Training is rarely fun and exciting, but we know what the end result is. So when we have kids, we're training them, right? I mean, I hope those of you who have kids are training your kids. You're disciplining them, and you're, you're challenging them. And when you do something wrong, you're, you're disciplining them with some, some pains. But they realize, oh man, doing that actually causes pain. But if I kept doing that, it would be even greater pain. And so you, you do whatever you can do to make sure your child doesn't do what you don't want them to do. That they gain some responsibility in their life. And they continue to grow. And as they grow, you continue to check them up with different ways of, of disciplining them. And now as adults, those of us who look back at our parents, especially those who did it right, we look back and go, man, thank God for that. Because now I'm a functioning adult. Now I don't make as many stupid decisions as I used to make. I still make some dumb ones, but you know, thank you, God, for that. You people who uh, love to play instruments, or those who have played sports, man, you will do all sorts of training. You'll, you'll sacrifice hours upon hours of practice and You'll sacrifice your comfort. I've seen band members walking around on a, without shade in the middle of the summer, making noises and stomping and flipping flags and can't do rifles anymore. Um, no, flipping, and they're sweating and they're tired, but they, why? Because they want to march at a football game. They want to go into competition and get a one. You know? Alright, awesome. That's, that's what you guys want to do. That's awesome. Have at it. Or this guys do, you know, playing sports. And they'll do two and two days and three days. And I wrestled for two months. And uh, <laughs> I had to cut weight, which meant I had to not eat. That's inhuman. And then I had to spit. Spit spit. There was spit so you get down the weight. So I got down the weight. And I won my first wrestling competition. I lost my second one. The first one was my forfeit. But anyway, that's beside the point. True story. True story. I, and I got out of wrestling because I'm just not a one-on-one -on -one guy. I'm more of a team sports, and I tried to get into football. And my mom said, no, you couldn't. It's just a whole mess. But the point is, the other guys were out there two and three days, sweating. Spitting, passing out. Why? Because we loved it. Loved playing. Might win a championship. We get a new job. We have to get trained for that job. We sit and watch those incredibly boring videos of what we're supposed to do and not do. Why? Because we've got this incredible, well-paying prestigious job that we're going to go for. In most cases, not. But point is, why? Because we want that job. Listen, if you want to be used by God, He's going to be training you the rest of your life. It's His MO. Look, look what happened in the, in the Bible. Just a few of them. King David was told when he was a kid, you're going to be king. And Saul, who became king, didn't like the fact that he was going to be king. And so... He actually went after David, tried to kill him. And David was on the run for a long time. And it wasn't until he was 30 years old. What was all that other time in between? Training? 
God working with him? The disciples, they trained with Jesus for three years. Paul, he trained out in the desert of Arabia, he says in Galatians 1, for three years. Jesus didn't start until he was in his 30s. Why? Because the Bible says he was being trained up. Not, you know, he's perfect, so this is more of an example for us than him specifically. He's being trained up by his parents. And Joseph, if nothing else, he's been trained for 13 years to be able to step into this situation that God wanted him to step into. I'm not saying we're all going to become the vice president. Okay? Don't, don't read that. But God's going to use us. Listen, your difficult situation is a God-designed training session. In fact, if you're not experiencing some sense of discomfort, some sense of frustration, some sense of struggle in your life, that is unusual if you're a Christian. Because God is always training. He's always trying to reveal who He is to you, that you can trust Him, that you can do what He says to do, and that, he, that He's going to use you, and you're going to become more and more like Christ. As a non-Christian, He's allowing you to go through what you're going through, one, because He wants to reveal Himself to you. He wants to reveal to you that you can't do this life on your own. You might think you can, but in your heart you know you can't, and He's saying, I'm the one who can. Hopefully, if you're here or listening to our podcast or you have Christian friends, you know, they're showing you and telling you that, no, you need Jesus Christ. He wants to reveal to you that He is your Savior, that He is your Lord, and then He gives you God the Holy Spirit, and then He becomes your power in the sense that He empowers you and encourages you and helps you and teaches you. And if you're a Christian, God is at work revealing who He is, that He is that Savior who saved you and continues to save you from the sin that you're struggling with. He is your Lord. He's worthy of you giving your life to Him like you said you did at the point of salvation. He wants to remodel you and make you look more like Jesus Christ. And by the way, if, if He's trying to make you more like Jesus Christ and you're fighting Him on it, that's why you're having pain. Because the joyful thing to do, the peaceful thing to do, the, the right thing, what's going to give you satisfaction in your heart is to do it God's way. And to experience Him turning you into someone who looks like Jesus Christ. Look what James says. It says, consider all joy, my brother, when you encounter various trials, these struggles, these painful situations. Know that a testing of your faith produces endurance. A testing is that disciplining. Let endurance have its perfect results, so you may be perfect, complete, lacking nothing. He's not saying you're going to be perfect and never sin again. It just means you can become more and more mature, spiritually mature, more and more looking like, acting like, thinking like Jesus Christ. And you say, well, I don't understand that. I don't get that. The next verse says this. But if any of you lacks wisdom, if you don't understand how God's doing that, why God's doing that, all that kind of stuff, God says, let him ask of me, who gives to all generously and without reproach will be given to him. So what do we do? We get back into God's word, we get some other mature Christians around us, and we start understanding why is it that I'm going through this? What is it that God wants me to learn from going through this? So again, what are you, what are you dealing with? What are you struggling with? What are you wrestling with? What prison do you feel like you're in? Where is it that you feel alone? Where is it that people have let you down? Joseph has been feeling all three of this. Well, knowing that God is using your difficult situation to train you, to develop you, to accomplish his will, then we need to do the next thing, and that's this. Do the next right thing. Do the next right thing and leave the results to God. Joseph, he didn't um, he didn't know what 
was going to come of his life. He didn't know if he was going to stay in prison the rest of his life. But what it, it didn't change who he was. He kept doing it God's way. He didn't get embittered. He didn't get frustrated. He didn't start blaming other people. He, he didn't wonder if God was even there. He, he just kept on doing it. He kept on doing life God's way. He could have believed the lie that God wasn't with him and been discouraged and frustrated. He could have just gone and done what everybody else does. Because at least he'll fit in there, but it's not going to accomplish anything. He just kept on doing the right thing. He worked hard for Pharaoh, or for Potiphar. His wife lied about him. He went to jail. He worked hard there. And he got before the Pharaoh. Both his words and his actions showed that he trusted God. And he was committed to doing it God's way. Don Anderson, in the studies in Genesis that he wrote, I think he just kind of nails down what's going on with, uh, with Joseph. He says, the secret to victory in traumatic circumstances is to see with the eye of man, as you and me, looking at what's going on in our lives, the hand of God in every circumstance of man. If we could just get to the point in our lives where despite what we're feeling, despite what we're thinking, despite what anyone else is saying to us, that we see, okay, no, I know the truth of the matter. The truth of the matter is I'm going through this for one other, you know, for a bunch of different reasons, but the main reason is, is for the hand of God to be at work. That I can know him. That I can learn to trust him. That I can see him work in and through me. And so because Joseph saw God's hand in everything, everything he did, everything that happened to him that he didn't even do, he always gave credit to God. And that's our last point. James says in 1.17, All or every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, who is talking about God, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. God is always, he's never shifting. He's always revealing himself. For those who don't know him, he's always seeking to restore a relationship with them. They have to make a choice for that or not. And he's always, for those of us who are believers, always trying to get us to become more like Christ. No shifting shadow. And that process is good. That's a gift from God. Who does not want to be more like Jesus? We think he's awesome, don't we? We want to be like him. The only way those around Joseph knew that it was God who was doing this is because Joseph told them so. Otherwise, they would have just thought one of their gods doing it. But Joseph corrected them. No, no, my God is doing this. I can't do this against my God. My God is the one who's giving me the interpretation. It's about his God. He's, he's pointing people to God. He's crediting God with what's going on in his life. Listen, when other people look at you and you, the changes you're trying to make, and whether they support you or whether they make fun of you, what's your response to them? Who gets the credit? Listen, if it's God who's going to get the credit, yeah, you'll sound weird. They'll be looking at you like, what in the world are you smoking? I mean, God? Yeah. It's not like, yeah, well, I'm just thinking I've got to make some changes in my life. I'm you know, kind of looking down the road, got to change here, change here. I, you know, I'm trying to do it. No, it's like, I, I've given my life to Christ, and I'm trying to do life God's way. I'm not perfect, but I'm trying. And God keeps on helping me, keeps on encouraging me. And in that, you'll know God, and in that, you'll also reflect God to others. 
It's interesting, and I'll close with this. Joseph wanted to make sure his descendants knew that it was God that did all this. He named his two sons Hebrew names, and one of them was Manasseh, which means making forgetful. And he says in Genesis 41, 51, that, that God's blessing has made him forget all my troubles and my family. Now, he's not saying, I've forgotten my family. They're dead to me. You know, he's not saying that. We're going to find out in a few, you know, verses down the road here that he's going to, well, I can't get into the story, but point is, he's not, he's, they're not dead to him, but they are in the pressure that they put on him. They don't have power over him. They are not his identity. See, when I was raised, I was raised as a Bjergen, and there are some things, that's my last name, um, and so there are some things about my family that as you see me, you're going to go, oh my word, that's a Bjergen. But you know there's some other things about me that because now I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, that people would say, well, I thought Bjergen, you know, that's what the Bjergen did. But I'm a follower of Christ. And so, Joseph's family, they didn't hold sway over him. God held the power over him, defined who he was. And in Ephraim, it means doubly fruitful. He said that God uh, made Joseph successful in the land of his suffering. So in the land of your suffering, in the land of my suffering, are we going to allow God to be the one who lets us be fruitful, who works through us, to allow him to reveal himself to us and through us to others. To see people in our lives who don't know Christ be restored to God in relationship. And then to grow and become more like Jesus Christ. Well, with Joseph in the position God, uh, that God had for him, uh, we'll see that God's going to begin to secure Israel's position and their growth, but that's for next week. So if today as man comes up, what are our takeaways? Did it again. I keep looking back here. Uh, first of all, how do you view the struggles you're facing? Do you view them with some frustration, with being embittered? I'm not saying that you're sitting right here, woohoo! I'm not saying that. But in your heart, in your attitude, is it, is it an, like having an embittering process? A frustration process? Or do you see them as God designed training for future growth? To become more like Christ. As James said, ask of God for the wisdom that you need. Let me just challenge you. If you're embittered, if you're being frustrated, get with God and let him give you the wisdom to understand why it is you're going through what you're going through. And secondly, who gets the credit for what happens in your life? As you're going through life and whether people are giving you a hard time about it or encouraging you, let them know, hey, listen, I'm only doing this because of who God is. God died on the cross for my sins, Jesus Christ. God forgave me of his sins. I'm just trying to do life his way because he loves me. He forgave me. I'm in a relationship. Again, it's going to sound weird. I get it. But Joseph did that, and people recognized that and saw that. Just real quick, it's a great opportunity. If you've placed your faith in Christ recently, you haven't been baptized, next Sunday is a great way to, to get the word out, to publicly profess that faith. Let people know what God has done in your heart. They're washing you clean from your sin and giving you spiritual life. And it's just a, an outward demonstration that Jesus asked us to do. And so if you haven't done that yet, sign up. Let's get together this week and talk to you a little bit more. We've got two people so far that we know of. 
uh, possibly three, so hopefully some more would be uh, willing to do that. And uh, I'm going to go ahead and pray, and then uh, we'll dismiss. You can go ahead and stand, and then I'll dismiss you after my prayer, and then the band's going to play you out. Lord, I want to thank you for this morning. Thank you for the opportunity we have to worship you, to, to come in and, and hear your word. Lord, I pray as I prayed this week and even this morning before coming up, that your Holy Spirit would draw people to you for salvation, that, um, and that you would draw those who are already saved, those who have a relationship with you, to you for understanding and for encouragement, and that we would represent you well. Lord, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the opportunity for us to be here in Christ's name. Amen. You're dismissed. Have a great week, and we'll see you next week.